I'm Kat Harris. Welcome to the Refined Collective Podcast. I'm an educator, brand strategist, and content creator. This podcast is designed to dig below the surface and to hold space for meaningful dialogue. It's a place where done is better than perfect, where quality triumphs quantity, and where the journey is the destination. So I invite you to leave your Superman cape of having it all together at the door because life is messy and beautifully imperfect. We all have a story to tell, and I want to hear yours. Hey friends, we want to invite you to be a part of the Refined Collective Podcast Tribe. Patreon is an incredible platform that allows artists and creatives to raise funds that empower them to do their craft with excellence by giving you, our audience, the opportunity to sign up for monthly pledges. You can sign up for as little as $5 a month. Our Patreon tribe has first access to our latest episodes, as well as information and insight concerning all things Refined Collective podcast related. Please check out our page and join us in empowering us to continue to create meaningful episodes, interviews, and content for y'all. You can find our page at www.patreon.com forward slash The Refined Collective. Hey friends, welcome to another episode of the Refined Collective Podcast. I am your host, Kat Harris, and y'all, we're midsummer here in New York. Even though it was raining all morning, it's finally here. I am so happy, and I am so happy to be talking with the amazing Sam Ponder today. If you guys don't know who this woman is, let me tell you, you are missing out. Get to know her. Follow her on Instagram read all the things about her. Here is who she is. Last year, Sam Ponder took over probably one of the most notable figures in modern sports broadcasting, Chris Berman. He hosted the Sunday NFL Countdown on ESPN since 1985, which also happened to be the year she was born. And now in her role as host of Sunday NFL Countdown at ESPN, Samantha is the first female host of an NFL pregame show. So no big deal, guys. Prior to her current role, she worked as a host for ESPN College Football and as a basketball sideline reporter. She currently lives in New York City with her husband, Christian, who, by the way, she married after three months, which, holy cow, I want to know all about this relationship. And she has two kids, Scout and True, and she's nine months pregnant, her third kid on the way, y'all. So Sam Ponder, you know, she's just casually living life. Here she is. Sam, thank you so much for being here today. I'm so excited to chat with you. I mean, Kat, listening to you introduce me, I sound like a crazy person. <laughs> so now I'm like, oh gosh, I got, I have a lot to defend and explain there. <laughs> but uh, no, this is great. Thanks so much for having me. And I feel like even though I'm nine months pregnant right now and waiting for this uh, this baby to come, I feel like pregnancy sometimes like forces you to slow down and start like processing things that have happened. And I look back on my husband and I've been married for five years now. I look back and I'm like, whoa, (laughs) like this is is a lot, but uh, but all good things. Absolutely. So kind of speaking of that, like slowing down and processing, how did you get here? I mean, just reading through your resume, the like the first female reporter on an NFL pregame show. I mean, you are a woman in a man's world. Like, I'm so fascinated. How did you get here? How? Yeah, no, I mean, it's, look, it's a good question because when you look at what I came from and the connections or lack thereof that I had, it really doesn't make sense. I mean, there are tons of, you know, young, blonde, aspirational uh, girls who want to work in sports broadcasting all over the country um, that have much better, you know, connections and all that than I did that never sniff any of this. So when I look back on my journey, I'm like, okay, I'm asking the same question, how? And my first answer is always just personally, I believe that this is what God allowed in my life. And for a variety of reasons was a part of the grace that he gave me to kind of experience and realize my dreams that I had since I was in third grade. Um, I grew up in Phoenix And my dad's a basketball coach, but just coached 
high school ball and ran a um, an inner city league there in Phoenix for a long time. So it wasn't like my dad was an NBA coach who connected me to TV people. Um, my mom stayed at home with us and, you know, played the piano for our church. And my parents had both been missionaries part-time. So like, I wasn't even in that world other than just loving sports as a kid. And, uh, but I moved to New York city when I was 18, right after high school graduation. And I, picked up and came to the city and I didn't know anybody. And I, uh, had a couple credit cards with like $250 maximums and some Wendy's <laughs> coupons. And I figured yeah. it out. I mean, it's kind of the same old story there in terms of coming to New York with a dream and not really much of a plan, but, um, I landed some great internships and through kind of developing and cultivating relationships during those internships, I kind of kept getting another opportunity and another opportunity. And that kind of snowballed into like, hey, who is this random chick who has really no, there's no reason we should hire her other than this person said, maybe meet with her. And that person said, so it was a lot of that. It wasn't, I didn't go to school for sports broadcasting. I wasn't even a communications major. I was politics, philosophy, and economics, but it was all relationships and the kind of on the job learning through internships that kind of helped me break into an industry that frankly is hard to break into. Usually you do have to know somebody or have some sort of connection. But for me, that's where I think the God factor comes in where like he, he doesn't really need an in. <laughs> he, he can do whatever he wants. So I'm, I'm grateful for that. Yeah. So even just listening to you talk, I'm reminded of something that my aunt tells me often. She says, nothing happens out of a vacuum. And like, we'll have these moments in our lives where it's like, oh my gosh, all of a sudden you have this opportunity to be the host of NFL countdown on ESPN for Sundays. But that didn't come out of a void place. Like you, like our suddenlies happen out of showing up faithfully with discipline and integrity over a long period of time. And so that when those suddenly moments come, you're ready for them. Or like when God opens that door, you're like, you have the capacity to walk through them. Does that resonate with you in regards to your story? Yeah, for sure. And for me, I mean, and I, I learned this by doing this well and not so well, but for me, what I realized is so much about it all of this, no matter what, and, and it applies to so many fields, but is it, it's about relationships. Like when you're an intern, I remember thinking back, like when I was 18 and just getting coffee for people that were intimidating to me, you know, just trying to break in, I didn't have the mindset of like, what can I do to get a job or impress them? I, my thought process was, I want to get to know this person. Like what is encouraging to this person? Like where do I pick up on some insecurities where maybe I could build them up and I could, and what I realized is over time, what happens is, yeah, there's a lot of people that can do my job. This is not obviously rocket science. So when you're in a huge pool of people, what makes the difference? And for me, and especially now when I'm in a position to make decisions about who I'm around and all that, you want to be around people and invest in people that you like and that have invested in you. And so much about, I think, the success I had early on was about just developing good relationships with all different sorts of people. And I'm not just talking about, you know, the boss or executive, just all the people that you're around. I mean, I have experienced and, and learned so much from other people in terms of, yeah, that person got that job for a couple of years and it was really great, but you hear horror stories about what it was like to work with them. And, and so it never lasts. And so to your point, I do think it's all these little things that add up. Now, at the end of the day, do I still think necessarily there was something that was just so special about me? where I deserve to like take over for Chris Berman? No. I mean, when I first got the offer from my agent, I thought he was joking, you know, <laughs> like I really, that those dreams were so far beyond what I had dreamt for myself. I mean, I just wanted to like cover the Phoenix Suns for the local station and, and I would have been fully happy with that. Like I, there wasn't any sort of 
I didn't want to be like famous or any of that. I just, I, I think you're right. I think all those little things, those investments that you make, um, and not to say that you do it perfectly, but over the years, they do add up and they make a difference in the long run. Yeah, yeah, they do. And this is going to sound so cheesy and you might just think I'm the weirdest person now, but Cinderella is one of my favorite movies. And there's a new Cinderella that came out a couple years ago and kind of the tagline was to have courage and be kind. And that had just really impacted me like this silly Disney Cinderella movie, have courage and be kind. I think that's what I hear. And what you're saying is be kind to people, be curious. And so much of why I do what I do at The Refined Woman and even on this podcast is I believe that every human being has worth, value, identity from the inside out, which means that we all have a story to tell. So everyone's been somewhere. So whether you're doing like what you said at the beginning, the coffee runs or taking out the trash or your CFO of a huge company, everyone has a story. Please don't feel weird about saying that at all. Cause now if that makes you weird, then I'm even weirder because right now in my kitchen, like there is a giant, probably 15 foot sign that I did in chalk that says, have courage, be kind. Stop so, it. <laughs> I swear to you, I could send you a picture to prove it. Like yes. that's been kind of like our family theme over the past few years. And yes, it is from that movie. So you're, you're not weird, not weird <laughs> at all. Um, because that's the, to me, that's the key. Once you understand that people are people and it doesn't matter if you're CEO of some, you know, billion dollar company, or you're just taking out the trash. Like we all have inherent intrinsic value and we all have insecurities. So once I was able to like break that down, even at 18 and realize like, yeah, my boss is insecure. You know, Mm. like these women who look perfect on the outside, I would take to lunch, you know, like just to try and get to know them. And some of them would end up in tears about how, you know, they're insecure about the way they look or the comments that people make on the internet. And the, and I started realizing like, okay, we all have something in common here. Like sometimes we think that these like successful people have something all figured out. And mm-hmm. if we could only get to that place, then we would have ourselves figured out too. And then you get there and you realize, well, sometimes for one, these people are more miserable than the people where I started. Yeah. And two, like it never satisfies. Like yeah. that, just like you said, that our value and our worth is from creation. It's not based off of achievement. Mm-hmm. And I think once that started to sink in, and for me, I mean, I'm, I feel so grateful that I was able to learn some of those lessons in my 20s because I was able to experience some of the success that I never thought I would achieve really early on in life and then get to that mountaintop and be like, that's it? Mm-hmm. Like, now what? You know, like when you get the, the job, the husband, the kids, the house, the money, all that stuff that you think like, if I could only get that, then I'll be okay. You know, mm-hmm. then I'll be enough. Then I'll be. And then you get that at 26, 27 and you realize, man, I'm glad I didn't spend my whole life trying to get to this place and then figuring out like this is not enough. Yeah. Um, so it's been a it's been an interesting journey over this this last decade for sure. But I'm just grateful that I've been able to at least start learning some of those lessons early yeah. on in life. Absolutely. And and kind of speaking of those like how everyone has those insecurities. I mean, you're in a field that revolves around appearance and public opinion. You're kind of, you're a woman in a man's world. Like, do you ever feel insecure? Like how, how is that for you on a day-to-day basis? Oh my gosh. I mean, it's a, it's a battle, right? It's a battle with this side of us that so desires um, approval from the people that we're around. And, and some of that is natural. Like I believe we were created for relationship, right? So we want the people around us to like, like us and approve of us. But gosh, I, I got to a place and and it's funny because a lot of people think, and I remember thinking this, Mm -hmm. that like, once you're married, right? Like once you get that person who says like, you're it forever, 
you're enough. You're the prettiest. You're the best. You're the, you know, you, whatever you create in your mind that, that marriage would mean for you, that somebody ultimately approves of you forever. I remember thinking that some of those insecurities would go away. And the, the ironic thing about all of it and the thing that now I'm learning to actually be grateful for, because it's shown me so much of my self-focus and selfishness and just kind of like put a mirror up to really what some of my insecurities were, which was pride. I mean, it's such a convoluted, like interconnected thing where insecurity for me was, yeah, I was thinking about negative things about myself, whether it was like, you know, I didn't think like I, I looked like the other girls on TV in terms of like, I didn't have the perfect body and my, you know, I had like hormonal acne and all these things that I thought like, oh, I don't look like a model, you know, which is funny because I, I work in sports. Like, why do I have to look like a model? But that was my, you know, when you work in TV, it's such a visual medium. And obviously everybody is usually at least hardest on themselves. But what I realized through marriage was I was then looking for my husband to, mm. I mean, it was an impossible job for him, you know, right. like, like every day has to make me feel like the most beautiful girl in the world. Like, stop mm. it. Like I was basically just looking for him to fix my insecurities instead of getting to the place where I was able to actually redefine beauty Mm. and not think that somebody else was going to fix that for me. So insecure, I mean, I, in a way, embrace some of those feelings of insecurity because I, I do think without insecurity, how do you ever connect to other people? You know, like if you're perfect and you get everything like that you wanted, you know, like I, I always say to girls that I'm meeting with, like, can you imagine wanting to hang out with another woman who had literally everything about her was perfect, like <laughs> body, hair, face, personality, like everything's per- like, who wants to hang out with that person? You would just feel terrible about yourself and you wouldn't be able to connect with them at all. And isn't that what we really want? connection. You know, like we want to be able to connect and relate to people and have relationships. So I'm trying to get to a place in my life where I can embrace the things about myself that I don't like instead of being like, oh, I love that my face is broken out this morning. Like, let's not just pretend that something's real. That's not real. Like, I hate that. It's, (laughs) it's like not fun. But at the same time, that is something that allows me to connect with other people. Without right. struggle, I wouldn't know how to relate to, you know, just your everyday person. I would become this like separated, isolated, which happens to so many people who become like super famous or super popular is you just get so isolated because nobody can connect to you and you're so jaded about people in general. So mm-hmm. insecurity for me is is a reality through all the stages of life for sure, but I think I'm finally at a place now where I'm starting to see it differently, see it more yeah. as an opportunity than something that holds me back. Yeah, I can resonate with that so much for just my own personal story and journey the last gosh, 5 6 7 years is I bought into this lie that is super easy to buy into in our culture. And I was like, I'm a woman, I'm independent. I don't need you. Like (laughs) I'm on my own and go girls. And I mean, I am like girl power, Beyonce all the way. I love all those things. But I realized in that I started believing this really subtle yet powerful lie that said, if I need another person, I am weak. Yeah. And so here I was walking through the early years of my career as a photographer in LA and then New York City in a very male dominated industry. And I was wearing this, what I call this superwoman cape. And it was like made of steel and backbreaking and exhausting. And I felt like if I actually admitted how I really felt that I was insecure that I didn't know if I really belonged here, that I was struggling. Like I thought what was really going to happen is I was going to be rejected. I wasn't going to be taken seriously by my peers. And really that is such a load of crap because when I actually started inviting people into my story instead of rejection, 
I found it was like I was in this dark room wearing this backbreaking superwoman cape. And then I lit a little candle and was like, hey guys, I'm struggling. <laughs> yeah. Instead of being shamed for that, it was like all these other candles started being lit in the room. And all of a sudden now, like where there was darkness, there was now light. Yeah. And so instead of feeling like, oh, to need others or to admit that I'm insecure or to ask for help, that's actually not weak. It's being, it's, it takes strength and courage to say, hey, I don't have it all together. Or, hey, I don't really know what that means. Can you explain it to me? And I just wonder what would happen like in our culture and our relationships and our careers if we kind of all started removing that cape yeah. and we're like, hey, like, I'm not perfect. I don't right. want to be perfect. And I actually need help. Do you want to, can you, can you, <laughs> can you please help me? Yes. <laughs> Kat, that's so good because I think one of the things that history tells us is that humans tend to overcorrect, right? Like when we see something that's a problem, we like go the exact opposite direction. And so like the pendulum totally swings the other way. And I think some, some parts of the women's empowerment movement, which I am all for, I mean, I work in an all, almost all male industry. I am rarely uh, with another woman in a meeting or anything like that. Like I, I get it. I, I want to be you know, strong and independent and all of those things. But I think some of the times we forget that as women, we also have strengths that most men don't have. And if we overcorrect and try and just become like men, then guess what we get? We get their problems too. And what have men historically done? Well, it's the shutdown. Don't show any need for help. Just mm -hmm. kind of like toil on the inside and have all these issues because of it, whether it's stress or, you know, loneliness or isolation. Like we don't want to just pick up the male problems, you know, like mm -hmm. we want to be empowered and we want to be independent and strong and all of those things, but like not at the risk of losing our ability to connect with other people and nurture and do the things that historically women have been stronger at. And that's part of the, the difficulty in training up. I mean, I've got a three-year-old daughter and gosh, so many days I think of the things that I'm teaching her through the things I say about myself or just how I live. And I'm like, what is the message I'm sending here? Like, you don't need a man. You don't need a, you know? And then I'm like, wait a second. Okay. That's true. Do I think you need to be married or in a relationship in order to live a fruitful life? Of course not. But at the same time, I don't want to be selling her a story that isn't reality, you know? And I think sometimes in this movement, we've done that. We've made it seem like you said that to be open and vulnerable and honest is to be weak. And that is just absolutely not true. Yeah, it's not. This episode is brought to you by the Flourish Market, which let me tell you is going to be your new favorite online boutique. I interviewed M, the owner on episode four, and if you listened in, I know you fell in love with this company. The Flourish Market is a place where every product has a bigger purpose and you can snag ethically made, on-trend clothes, jewelry, bags, and accessories at accessible price points, all while supporting the causes you care about. Visit theflourishmarket.com slash refined collective. And you're going to find five fun resources from M to help fill your cup along with a special discount code you can use on your first purchase. That's www.theflourishmarket.com slash refined collective. So with that, as we're talking about the difference between like the masculinity and the femininity, how has being a woman in your industry been an asset for you? How has bringing a different side of the conversation as a woman been good for you? Yeah, it's a mixed bag for sure. Because like any woman who works in a male industry knows there are things that <laughs> you wish weren't there and struggles that come because of that. And you know, feeling like you have to prove yourself all the time and trying not to, you know, fall into any of the preconceived notions or stereotypes or any of that. But there are also, like you said, like some benefits. And for me, they were very distinct benefits, especially early on where, you know, a guy maybe my, my same age 
who was interviewing a coach would the coach would be kind of like short with them or whatever. I found that coaches were more likely to open up to me and be kind to me. And especially once they found out I was, you know, the daughter of a coach and all that kind of stuff, there was almost this like, Oh, it's like your daughter or your little sister. Or so there, mm-hmm. some of that was a benefit. I mean, I felt like I got better information from coaches and players who didn't see me as a threat and especially in the media, I think sometimes when people are being interviewed, you just feel like your guard's up. And I, I feel like I was able to bring that down just by being female. So that was a benefit. But yeah, I think in the relationship area, that that helped a ton. I mean, I decided really early on, like that was the role I wanted to play. I wanted and everything from the way I dressed to the way I presented myself in meetings or when I first met coaches, I was very strategic and purposeful about, I want to make it clear what I'm here for. And Mm -hmm. that's not to say that someone that wants to do all sorts of, you know, I mean, early on and for me, practically it meant saying no to a lot of things. Like when certain like men's magazines call and want you to do a photo shoot. I mean, for me at 24 and 25, I was like, what? First of all, that's terrifying. Um, because I had never, I was never much of a, a swimsuit model, but at the same time, it was like this balance of like, okay, everybody says like, this is great exposure and PR and all that. And then I'm thinking on the flip side, like, yeah, maybe for the next couple of years, but what happens when I'm 50 and I still want to work in this industry and I, I want to be taken seriously. And I know what people are already assuming because I'm 24 and blonde and the sideline reporter at a football game. Like I know the stereotypes that are there and it was a personal decision for me. Everybody makes their own choice, but I just learned early on to say no to a ton of stuff. And that was hard, especially when you're broke. And, and and nobody knows your name, you know, so you, you kind of get excited about things like that, especially when, you know, I didn't grow up in a, a family where we knew anybody who was in a magazine or on TV or anything like that. So some of that stuff was really alluring, but I don't know. I I do think to answer your question, there, there's a mixed bag being a woman and woman in this industry, because you get a lot of opportunities and a lot of doors are open for you, but then they're, they're closed very quickly too. If you don't have that staying power and the relationships to keep you there. So it's tricky. It's tricky for sure. Sort of on the flip side of that question is, do you feel like you've had to fight to be taken seriously as a reporter because you're a woman in a male dominated industry, like being a woman has been a gift to you, but has it, have you also felt like, man, I'm climbing an uphill battle here and I'm having to go the extra mile when my male counterpart didn't necessarily have to like, yeah. How has the flip side of that been for you? Well, I think it depends on what your ultimate goal is. You know, if you're, if your goal is to have the respect of every male sports fan out there, then yes, like that's exhausting because you would have to prove yourself all day, every day. I mean, I, (laughs) I can't tell you how many comments, it doesn't matter what I say, there are always going to be the responses of like, you belong in the kitchen, which by the way, I always thought was a hilarious thing because the kitchen is seriously like the best place to be. So I don't understand why that's an insult. (laughs) (laughs) That's where the food is, but okay. Um, But I, over the years, I I would get insecure about that kind of thing because I would always want to prove like, look, I knew football when I was in fourth grade. Like I grew up around this stuff. It's second nature to me. And so I, I would always get so defensive, like, no, I'm, I'm not the girl that, you know, just got here for this reason or that. Like, I love the game. And I, and I would find myself getting so defensive and I'll never forget. There's a guy that won Super Bowls, played in the NFL and played at Notre Dame named Aaron Taylor, who I worked with when I was interning, when I was 18 at ABC in New York city. And he told me something that I'll never forget. And I'm so grateful for this. He said, Sam, do you think if somebody calls me short that I'm offended or defensive or whatever? Now, you got to know Aaron's like probably, I don't know, six, six, huge guy. He was an offensive lineman. Okay. So there's nothing about him that is small. Um, And I was like, no, obviously not. He's like, the only things that should really bother you are the things that have some truth to them. 
You know, like mm-hmm. obviously nobody wants to be misunderstood and all that. And it's okay that you're like, oh, I don't like that people think I don't know the game or think I'm stupid or think I'm just a blonde whatever on the sideline. Like, but the only thing that should really keep you up at night is if something has some truth to it. A tall guy doesn't care if somebody calls him short because he knows mm-hmm. it's not true. You know, so like you got to figure out where you're getting your reality from, where you're getting your identity from, what you know to be true. And once you figure out what those things are, then all the little commentary is just people who are broken trying Mm. to have you be broken with them, you know, and like we know that about people, right? Even about ourselves, like when we're struggling, like we don't want to be around some person that's got it all together. Like misery loves company, you know, and so much of social media has become that. So look, I, I still get that. I mean, I, I hosted our ESPN's pregame NFL show for the first time this last year. And the feedback they got from a lot of viewers, even though I'd worked in college football for the last 10 years, I've worked in football in general since I was 18 and grew up around the game, the feedback they got from like their polling and audience analysis was like, she needs to prove that she knows the game. And I told them, I was like, I was really honest with some of the people that I work with. I was like, look guys, I'm not going to do that because here's the thing. Even if I stood up and started breaking down coverages and explaining certain schemes and going back into the history books and talking about the 85 bears and all this stuff, it would never be enough. It's never going to be enough. Like you, there are some people you cannot win over. So you got to figure out what's true and what you can really like bank on. And I know that I know the game, so it's not, it shouldn't make me insecure and just keep it moving. And, and honestly, I mean, it sounds like I'm like back down South, but like bless them and pray for them and keep it moving. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, like a little, uh, bless your heart. You're from Texas, so you get it. I get it. I get it. I get the, I get the bless your heart. Well, that's such a good and healthy perspective. And if you spend all your time, if I spend all my time combating the people who are telling me that I shouldn't be doing what I'm doing, then guess what? Then I'm not doing the thing I'm supposed to be doing. (laughs) And one of my favorite books is The War of Art by Stephen Pressfield. And it talks about like the life of a creative And he says, you know, you're on the right path or you're doing something of a noble and worthy cause when you start experiencing resistance. And you know that you should push through that when you get people from all over the place telling you no, because for some reason there's a force in the world that doesn't want like beauty, light, truth, wholeness to move forward. So I, I feel like we all get haters, you know, and I love what you said, like misery loves company, but for me, I'm like, that's ammunition for my cause. Like I, that means I'm on the right path. And also what you're saying, yes, like hurt people, hurt people and bless yeah. them and pray for them. I, I love that because I know that if I am whole, grounded, free in my identity and who I am, I'm not concerned about another person or tearing them down. So yes. it's actually, it's cause for empathy. For sure. Compassion. Because you think about yourself. I mean, I don't know about you, Kat, but for me, like I look in the times in my life where I was most insecure, whether it was about the way I looked or not fitting in or whatever. Those are the times in my life life that I was also like the most gossipy and mm. like really interested in what everybody else was doing wrong and like the most opinionated on social media and like strong in what I felt about everything, you know, mm. like it it all goes together. So when you start thinking about that from yourself, it actually allows you to have compassion on some of these men that say like heinous things to me. Cause Mm -hmm. I'm like, wow, would a man who knows who he is, who is solid, who is faithful, who is the, you know, list all the things, spend time telling some random woman he doesn't know that, you know, she's ugly and fat. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, (laughs) I've heard it all. I've heard it all. And, uh, yeah, I, I do think that like compassion is the answer in those scenarios because you know, not because, Oh, I'm so perfect. I would never do that. No, because you know, the depths of your own depravity that like when you're insecure, when you're struggling, like, where does your mind go to, you know, like the things that I've thought, not saying like that it's all the same in like that I've ever like 
cussed somebody out and told them, you know, they should die or anything, but it Mm -hmm. comes from the same root, you know, it comes from that same, like, I'm unhappy. I don't feel good about myself. Let me project this on somebody else so that maybe I can feel a little bit better. So, um, that's helped me a lot to, to handle all of the, the nonsense, especially on social media. Oh yeah, that's good. Um, so I want to, I kind of want to shift gears a little bit. We only have a few more minutes left to talk. I want to talk about your dating story and then your <laughs> marriage. And it's all kind of one. <laughs> like, and then you met, got married and you have your third kid on the way. Like, like I said, it's been a very busy five years for you. Yes. Um, so yeah, tell me a little bit about your story. Okay. So Christian and I met, um, speaking of social media, this is why social media is such a mixed bag for me because you get a lot of bad, but I also got a husband out of it. Um, (laughs) he like tweeted me and I knew, I knew his name from, he played at Florida state in college and then was drafted by the Minnesota Vikings. Um, but at the time I wasn't super like following the NFL every day. So I, I hadn't like kept up with his career that much, I mostly knew him from college, but we didn't have any mutual friends really. I think we had like maybe one person that we both followed on Twitter and he sent me a message. It was something fairly innocuous. And I remember thinking like, this is weird. Like why did this NFL quarterback like randomly send me a message? Well, he had seen me on some uh, like NFL Super Bowl show thing that I had done. And anyway, I was so frustrated because I was still kind of starting out in my career, generally speaking. And I'm like, mm-hmm. dude, you can't send me like public messages. Like this is going <laughs> to look bad. There's nothing bad going on, but like it this private, like it was no, just like, I didn't follow him. Like we weren't connected at all. And so he like publicly was like, Hey, I saw you live in Austin. Do you like living there? I'm like thinking of buying a place. And I'm like, ask a realtor, you know, <laughs> why, <laughs> why are you asking me? But, uh, That's as much as I make fun of him about it, um, it apparently worked because we met, on September 1st in 2012. And we were married December 17th of 2012. So um, it was a crazy, uh, he was playing ball in Minnesota and I was living in Austin working for ESPN and Longhorn Network. I just started at College Game Day, which was like a dream job for me. And so everything in my life was just crazy. And then all of a sudden I'm like, I'm married. (laughs) And I really wasn't the girl that like grew up like dreaming of my wedding and, you know, thinking of all that stuff. I was so career oriented that, I don't know, I I had had a few long-term relationships, but like one of them was crazy and ended up in like restraining order craziness. So I was like, at a point in my life where I'm like, I'm just going to buckle down and do work and not pay attention to all this. And then suddenly I'm married. And then about seven months later, I was like, Oh, and now I'm pregnant. Um, okay. So I literally traveled with my daughter before she was one. She'd been on over a hundred flights because I was traveling five days a week with ESPN. And so she came to every game in every city and um, yeah, I mean, it's just been a crazy, crazy whirlwind. Um, people are always like in the newspaper in Minnesota, when we got married, they said that I was pregnant because, because <laughs> nobody, happens. they just all assumed like who gets married after three or four months. But, mm-hmm. um, no, we were just crazy and in love and, and figured, you know what, we know what we want. I mean, I think I was 27, I think. And I think I was really at a point in my life where I was so sure of what I didn't want that, I mean, this sounds crazy to say, and I I know that it is, but like that really within the first few hours of talking to him, I'm like, all right, I think we got something here, you know, like, and that doesn't mean there weren't a ton of challenges that came because, I mean, we essentially married strangers. We weren't even living in the same place while we were dating. So he would fly out. I mean, in the NFL, you have one off day and it's not even really an off day during the season. Like you're supposed to still go into the office and everything, but he would fly down to Austin and we would just spend the afternoon and the evening together. And then he would fly right back. So I was seeing him one day a week during those three or four months. So if you could imagine, I mean, yeah. Well, now as a parent, I'm like, holy crap, 
<laughs> why would anyone let their child do that? But that, I guess that's what happens when you're like in your twenties, mm-hmm. you don't have to ask for permission anymore. So yeah, it's been a, an interesting ride. Wow. So kind of, I, that's what I love about love is there's no cookie cutter. There's no system. It's not like, here's the formula of how you meet your spouse and how it works out. Like I've been an, a wedding photographer for almost 10 years now and everyone's story is different. And yeah. I, I love that. Like there's, there's nothing where you're like, okay, this is the way it's supposed to look. So I think I, I'm just always fascinated in hearing people's stories. Um, so essentially you married a stranger. Yes. <laughs> um, I mean, so really five, though. Yeah. So five years in with your third child on the way, what makes your marriage work? Gosh. Um, well, I guess it depends on how you define work because it is it is an everyday thing. I mean, we so, you know this from being in the photography industry, we so glamorize marriage because of weddings, right? Because weddings are so glamorous. And, and so it looks, especially on social media, like, I mean, what could you want any more than you would want this like forever connection with someone? And what we don't realize, or I'll speak for myself, what I didn't realize is I was in for a rude awakening because I had no idea how selfish I was. No Mm. idea. Like I had never, I always thought about, you know, love in our culture. We talk about it so much, but we never really define it. It's like, love is love. All you need is love. And then it's like, wait, what is this? And what I didn't realize, so much of love is self-sacrifice and putting Mm. someone's needs and wants ahead of your own. And man, is that hard, especially when you are a selfish 27-year-old girl who works in TV, who thinks, you know, like things are kind of revolving around me right now, you know? And then you marry this person who also is in a public position and has had people telling him, how special he is for so long. So you put these two selfish people together in a house, um, in many, I mean, we've moved like because of our careers, we've already moved like 10 times and it is a struggle. But, but to answer your question, what I think works for us is a shared and mutual commitment to working that out, you know, to not just staying like, well, he doesn't meet my needs or I need that. Like, to not letting that stop there and try to go deeper into what really love is. And I think we were totally unequipped to do that when we got married because we had ideas about what marriage was that were just totally wrong and based off of probably like Disney movies, you know? I I mean, it's (laughs) ridiculous. Yes, yes. We're like, oh, I got saved now. And now I just look beautiful forever in this castle. Like it's ridiculous, you know? I wasn't picturing all the spit up and the poop and, and so much of marriage and parenting is like the day in, day out messiness of human interaction. You know, it's that constant human interaction. So for us, it's a shared faith and a belief that like God has a plan in all this and is actually using each other to, I mean, to use a word you're familiar with, to refine us, you know, Mm -hmm. to like find the diamond down in there. Um, But that's hard work. You know, Mm -hmm. it's not, it's not pretty. And it's certainly not like social media friendly. And it's hard to like, how do you broadcast that? How do you explain that? Like, yes, we love each other. I'm so grateful for this man, but gosh, this is, this is difficult stuff. It's not, Mm -hmm. it's not a bunch of pictures in Central Park, you know, Mm -hmm. like, um, which sometimes I think it kind of looks like from the outside. Yeah. There's always more to the story. And I think some of the most beautiful things in my life are the moments of hardship or the moments of pain or the relationships where you lean in and say, let's go through this. Let's talk about the hard things. Like those refining moments, like you said, like those are the relationships that stand the test of time, but you have to be willing to do the work. Like, yes, Kat, it's so, and we realized this, both of us so early on in our marriage, you know, what's terrible. And I know this sounds like so counterintuitive, but you know, what's terrible is when everything is convenient and easy and there is no struggle. Like we lived through a period of time and I know this sounds ridiculous, but like where we had want or need for nothing. 
as a couple. And it was ridiculous. We were both in our 20s, late 20s, and we didn't need any money and we could go shopping without looking at price tags. And we had people telling us we were awesome and all this stuff. And we were freaking miserable because Mm. it's no fun when you can't grow and you cannot grow without struggle. Like there has to be struggle in your life. Now I'm not saying like, oh, let's pray that, you know, we get some disease or like, obviously there are things that like you don't want to happen. But the goal we learned so early on, and this is, this is a difficulty in, in raising kids too, is like the goal should not be comfort. Comfort mm-hmm. is boring. And I'm not talking about like, yes, you need food to eat and clothes on your back, like basic necessities. I'm just talking about like the lie that we sell in this culture, that if only you could get a little bit more, if only mm-hmm. you could be more successful or more beautiful or have more money or more attention then everything would be great. And then you get some of that stuff and you realize like, man, this isn't it. I am bored. I'm living without purpose. Mm -hmm. Without struggle, there is no growth. So I think our marriage was really defined by that early on realizing like, okay, let's, let's get messy. Let's work through our insecurities. Let's like really figure out who we want to be, the vision we want to have for our life and what our purposes are So we're not living this consumer lifestyle where all we do is sit back and like wait for something else to happen because that's, that's honestly no way to live. So I know it's a weird message because it's like, Hey, everything you want, isn't that great? But like in my experience, that's what happened. You know, I, I actually desired a little bit of a fight or a struggle or, uh, and I'm, I'm learning the value in that. Yeah. There's beauty in the process. There's beauty in the fire and in the struggle. And um, yeah, thank you for sharing that and just being so honest. I, I really appreciate that. So final question here, just our last few moments. What do you wish you would have told your younger self? Like if you could kind of go back to your 18-year-old self coming to New York, like no contacts, just right out of the gate. What do you wish you could have told yourself? Well, first of all, stop eating all the fast food because (laughs) I swear I did not understand. And I'm so glad our generation is at least improving this. Like I did not see food as fuel. I saw it as comfort, you know, Mm -hmm. and I'm finally getting to a place in my life where I start realizing because I need the fuel and the energy to do the things in my daily life as I like hear a baby crying in the background right now. Um, But that... I actually, like, I seriously needed to change the way I was eating and fueling my body. That's kind of a side note. The other one is just don't rush it. Like, I was in such a rush to do everything, to be successful, find a husband, you know, have money and all these friends and all this stuff. And I just, I missed out on some of the daily stuff that now I look back and I'm like, that was good. Why didn't I see that that was good? You know, mm. like just the the moments of solitude and and being alone and having time to think through who I wanted to be and what I wanted to be about. I was always like rushing into the next thing, like what's coming up this weekend or how can I climb the ladder a little bit? And like I said before, it's like, then you get to the top and you're like, one, it's super lonely up here. And two, mm. like, now what? You know, like my dad used to tell me that when I was a kid, he would always say, then what, you know, you want the boyfriend or the car or the, you know, bag or the job or even like bigger things like that. Then what, what happens when you get it? Because you don't want to be on that hamster wheel forever. So I, I would tell my younger self, enjoy your younger self, you know, like enjoy the process, embrace the struggle. Don't be afraid to be sad. Like it's okay. We have an entire culture that tells us all that matters is being happy, being happy. There is no happy without sad. Like we are over-medicated. We are told that it is wrong or bad to have sad feelings. Like no, sadness can be good. Like as long as you work through it and you, you come out on the other side, we need that. You know, like we need to understand what that feels like instead of just avoiding it at all costs. So I would try and slow myself down, I think. Gosh, my my best friend, Tuti, when she listens to this episode, she's going to be like, that was for you, Kat. Because <laughs> I literally, 
I struggle with rushing so much. And yesterday, point in case, I'm rushing to my workout class because I was running late and I was running down the street and smacked my hand on a rear view mirror and oh, broke no. my finger. No. Oh my gosh. <laughs> God was like, what, what's, what are you doing, hon? Like, what, yeah. what's the rush? And I literally had this conversation with my best friend last night. And she's like, we got to figure out why you keep rushing everywhere. Yeah. And well, the grace so in something bad that happens to you, like sometimes realizing it like forces you to slow down. Yes. And just if we get to the end of our lives, like sometimes I'm like, I don't want to get to the end of my life and be like, well, that was fun, but I sure was tired the whole time. Yeah. Cause I was <laughs> yes. Yes. And I think about that all the time. Like I want to think about my life from end to beginning, not beginning to end. You know, I want to think about what are the things that I, I wish I'll wish I would have spent more time on. Like, I'm never going to be like, if only I would have acquired a few more accolades and a few more people that told me how awesome I was like, what? No, (laughs) we get it so backwards and we know that we just have to be reminded of it. And for me, it's a daily, like sometimes hourly by the minute reminder that I need. And sometimes it comes in the the form of like breaking a finger or something, you know, like whatever it takes. Yes. Uh, Well, Sam, thank you so much for your wisdom, for your heart and I'm so grateful that you are, I mean, you're a forerunner in your industry. You are making such an impact and showing so many women um, and men the possibility um, of like a new, like a new way and a new future. And I'm so, I'm just grateful to have heard more about your marriage and your story and that you love Cinderella the way I do. (laughs) (laughs) So thank you. Thank you for who you are and doing what you're doing. I'm, I'm very grateful for you. Well, thank you, Kat. I mean, what you're doing, I am a huge supporter of um, just creating a space to have these conversations is so important. Um, And I hope you know that. I hope you understand like the impact that you're having by doing this and showing that women are so much more than what we see on social media or what we see on TV. Um, It's really amazing. And I think it's going to bear so much fruit. So keep up the good work. Thanks, girl. I appreciate that. And um, we'll chat soon. And I can't wait to see that new baby of yours. I know. Me too. This thing needs to come (laughs) out. Jeez. Me too. (laughs) Thanks, Kat. Bye-bye. I'm Kat Harris, and you've been listening to the Refined Collective Podcast. You can follow our journey on Instagram at The Refined Woman, our website, therefinedwoman.com, for show notes, other features and interviews, and a deeper look into our tribe. Find us on iTunes, The Refined Collective. Subscribe, rate, review, and leave us some love. Join me next time, and thank you so much for listening. And one last thing, in case you ever forget, you are not alone. Your story matters, and you belong here.